Now I have the honor of introducing a really good friend of mine who has just been a real blessing to me and someone I've learned a lot from uh, what it means to really be a man and be a husband. He was married long before I was and uh, he's just a real awesome guy, a true man of God with a really loving heart and that is our very own Ben Jordan and he's going to grace us with a sermon today. So uh, I'd like to welcome up Ben. can't beat that intro. That was pretty awesome. I am not that awesome, but <laughs> I have a lot to get through, actually. So I kind of want to just start, not do any fancy introduction stuff. Let me just pray to begin. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for pushing me out on the water today uh, to stand. We pray that you would give us ears to hear your word. We pray that you would be present that you would speak. We want to know you more. We want to know you better. We pray for understanding. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, um, it's a funny story <laughs> of how I was asked to be here and speak. I was actually at a wedding for Zach and Christina. You know those guys, right? And I was sitting there with my baby on my lap, Atticus, and my wife was sitting next to me, and we were just having a good time eating meat, eating some crazy lemonade that was really good. I don't know what was in it, lavender or something, something fancy. It was really good. <laughs> and uh, over in the corner, across the room, this strange man enters the room. And he's got a fedora on and uh, this really long coat, like a, I don't know, past his knees. And it looks bulky, like pretty big, menacing even. It's like, dang guy's legit. He walks over, saunters over, really, and uh, sits down next to me. I'm like, okay. I mean, that's fine. You know, I like people, but there are like 20 extra tables that are empty because everybody's dancing and whatever. It's hard to dance with a baby. And so he sits down and uh, he leans over to me. He says, hey, Mac. And he opens a trench coat and there's just Bibles lining his trench coat. It's like 50 Bibles in there. Translations I'd never heard of. I don't even know what they were. And uh, he says, hey, Mac, want to preach? I was like, what? And uh, that's the story of how Albert Lee asked me to preach. And certain details in there are fuzzy for me. I don't know if it went exactly like that, but that's pretty much how it goes. And that's why I'm up here today. I, for some reason, said yes, I would. And I've been regretting that decision, at least in part, ever since, because I've been uh, very nervous to be here. But I'm glad I'm here. And... In my prayer, you heard me reference being pushed out onto the water, and that's kind of what I feel like I'm doing now, is stepping out onto the water like Peter. So after I said I'd preach, I immediately called my dad. My dad's a pastor, and I was like, okay, I've got a few questions about preaching, so what do I do? <laughs> How do you do this thing? I mean, I see you do it all the time. And he said, well, I would recommend telling a story, finding a story in the Bible and going through it, a story that's meaningful for you. And so that's what I'm going to do today. I want to paint a picture of a story. It's been on my heart for months, really. It's the story of the Old Testament. <laughs> and that might be a big chunk to chew. But in particular, I want to focus on the very end of the Old Testament, right at the end before the New Testament comes, before Jesus comes. I guess in the Old Testament, when I read it, I really find two different types of stories in there. I find uh, a story where man is unfaithful, and then God is faithful. 
And then I find a story where man happens to be faithful, and then God is still faithful. And those are the two types of stories. And you can read those stories in a very like, linear fashion if you read through like Genesis, Exodus. Like there's a story, and you just read it. And it's very easy to follow. And there's Abraham, and then there's other people. But you know exactly where you are. And then you read these more historical books like uh, Chronicles and Kings and Samuel. And those are all stories, and it's really easy to follow and know where you are. And then at the end of the Old Testament, things get a little fuzzy, and you're not sure when Isaiah is happening or Daniel. Daniel is just like nuts the whole way through. And so I want to focus on this last bit of the story of the Old Testament. And I believe that the climax of the whole Old Testament is in that last part, particularly in Nehemiah. And that's where I'd like to read today in, in Nehemiah 8, if you want to open your Bibles. I think the climax of the entire Old Testament is in Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah is actually the last book chronologically in the Old Testament. For some reason, it's not the end of the Old Testament in your Bible. I don't know who put that together. Let me just read it for you. I would like you all to stand, actually, while I read this, if you would. You'll see why in just a moment as I read through it. In Nehemiah 8, verse 1. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalim on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. That's why you're standing right now. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jemin, Akab, Shebatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Keliah, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now I'm going to skip to verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. You can sit down if you want. Or you can stand. I mean, these people stood until midday. So uh, I think that's the climax of the Old Testament. I'd kind of like to get there by backing up and starting a little earlier to give context to show you why I think that. So I'm going to back up by going forward in my Bible to Jeremiah 25. And there's a prophecy in Jeremiah 25 that kind of starts one of the last stories in the Old Testament, and that's the story of Israel's exile to Babylon. And this is where it begins, so I'm going to read it in Jeremiah 25, verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, I am going to send for all the tribes of the north, says the Lord, even for King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and Against all these nations around, I will utterly destroy them and make them an object of horror and of hissing and of everlasting disgrace. 
and I will banish from them the sounds of mirth and the sounds of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity. Boom! Normally, when I read prophecy, I'm totally lost, right? But the thing about this prophecy is it is incredibly specific. I mean, there's not really a whole lot of ways to interpret this. I mean, he calls people out by name. He says, Nebuchadnezzar will come and destroy you, and then he will be destroyed. And that's the prophecy. And so thus starts the last story, the story that I want to cover today. But I mean, obviously, Jeremiah, I'm starting pretty late in the Bible, is already part of the story of the Old Testament, you know, as a larger story. Actually, if you read Jeremiah 25, you can go straight to Daniel and start reading Daniel because later that year, Nebuchadnezzar comes and he captures Daniel <laughs> and he takes him into exile. And so after Jeremiah 25, we can go to Daniel and Daniel's a story about, well, that's hard to describe Daniel in a sentence or two, but he describes life in exile and Lots of crazy stories and lots of prophecy, but it's all in exile. It's all in Babylon. Even half of the book, maybe more, is even in a different language, not Hebrew. It's in the language of the Babylonians. Chaldee? I don't know how to say it. And you can also read Ezekiel after Jeremiah 25, because those events are happening simultaneously. And then at the end of Daniel, you can go straight to Ezra. Ezra is the first book when they come back out of exile. And so you can read Ezra. And during Ezra between chapters at the same time, you can read Esther, and you can read Zechariah, and you can read Haggai. All those things are happening at once. And then after Ezra, you can go straight to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah happens, and you can read Malachi at the same time, because all that stuff is happening at the same time. It's nuts, right? Because when you go and you read First Chronicles, you know, you read First Chronicles, and it's like the story, and then you're done, right? But this, I just named eight books, nine books that are all happening in very rapid succession, happening over top of each other, and it's very difficult to keep track of what's happening when. But it's really cool. So you go, just to summarize, you go Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Ezra, Esther, Zechariah, Haggai, Nehemiah, Malachi, all of those, and they all tell the same story. They're all part of this larger story that started in Jeremiah, where Israel is unfaithful, and they're taken into exile, and they're returned and rebuilt. And it's all the same story. It's this last part, the rebuilding of Israel in particular, that I'd really like to focus on. And that starts in Ezra, like I said. And Ezra and Nehemiah are actually very connected. They used to be one book long ago. I'm not sure why they were split up. But it's all one book, and in it, it's very repetitive. There's a theme of repetition throughout both books in which God just grabs a hold of the entire world <laughs> at that time, and he just bends it to his will in just a mighty way. And in particular, Ezra starts out in this guy named Zerubbabel, who doesn't get a book named after him, unfortunately. But I think, in my opinion, he should have had a book named after him. Zerubbabel is sent back, and he rebuilds the temple in Jerusalem. And then Ezra is sent back, and he rebuilds the community and the priesthood. And then Nehemiah is sent back, and he rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. And so that's the repetitive nature that I'm talking about through both these books. It's very interesting because they don't just like come back to Israel one day and start doing stuff. It's not really how it worked at all. No, God, he grabbed a hold of the king of Persia, his heart, and he said, 
I want you to do this. <laughs> and the king of Persia, not a Jew, would send these men back. And not only would he send them back, he'd send them back with escorts, and he'd send them back with all the gold they could carry. And he'd send them back and say, if anyone messes with you, I will destroy them. <laughs> and he says, if you need any more money to build your temple or your walls, just come back and I'll give you more. Makes no sense, right? Because God is obviously present, right? And God is starting to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild. And it's really fascinating just the extent to which God has gone. I mean, Persia is literally, they have the largest armies on earth at this time. They have so much land, it spans continents, it spans languages. It's huge, and God touches the heart of their kings. And these are different kings even. It's not even the same king. It's like one king will send back Zerubbabel, another king will send back Nehemiah. Like, what? It's ridiculous. It's obvious that God is doing something big here. And in all of these books, these nine books that I mentioned, it's like in any story you have this rising action of things like building up and building up and, and you're not really sure what's going to happen, but you know at some point it's going to climax and something huge is going to happen. Nehemiah 8 is what happens. And it's a very unassuming little chapter, right? It's just this little old man. Ezra's an old man at this point comes up and he starts reading the law. He's reading the Torah. He's reading the first books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, on, on, on. And it's a very small looking chapter, but I believe that it's the climax of the entire story that's being told in all these nine books. So if you go to the first verse of chapter eight, all these people in the seventh month, they come to the square before the water gate. And the water gate has actually just been rebuilt by Nehemiah. <laughs> So all these Jews have been in exile. They're sent back to Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the priesthood, the community. They rebuild the walls. And now they're all in this group, and I'm sure they're just ready to party. You know, they're like, yes! We're getting somewhere. We're building our city, and we're back on top. It's awesome. And I can just imagine being there, I suppose. And what's amazing is that, you know, God could have done anything here. You know, if I had been in charge of it, <laughs> instead of God, and this is a stupid thing to say, but if I had been in charge of it, I would have made, like, the sun turn red or something, and the, the moon explode or something. Like, something just so grand, like, this is it, people, Boosh, the moon explodes, and then everyone dies because, I don't know, we need the moon probably, I don't know, but that's why I'm not in charge of this stuff. Or, like, Ezra's hair could have caught on fire and you start, like, spewing prophecy and stuff, but no, he doesn't. Actually, it's an interesting choice that this little old man, Ezra, is speaking, because Ezra's not a prophet. There is a prophet probably in the audience named Malachi. Why didn't Malachi come up and just start prophesying and could tell him about Jesus? He could do any number of things. No, he has Ezra come up and just read from the Torah. And Ezra's a scribe, meaning his job is not to bring new revelation like a prophet, but to interpret the old. And at the very end of the Old Testament, the very end of the story, they go back to the beginning. And he reads God's first words. I can just see myself standing there in the square before the water gate and just seeing this little man get helped onto this wooden pedestal and, and take out these scrolls in Hebrew. And, and Ezra reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And just be blown away. Like, Whoa. And hear Ezra read about Adam and Eve and about how man's unfaithfulness was met with God's faithfulness and just be blown away. Like these people 
They were so far removed. They had been living in captivity. They didn't even speak Hebrew, probably. I mean, there were Levites there in the audience, like, translating and explaining things. And most likely these people had heard these stories from their grandmothers or something, and now they hear it from the first time coming from the lips of Ezra. And they're like, whoa, that was real? Adam and Eve? That happened? That's where I come from? <laughs> and then they hear about Abram, a man who met with God and took a covenant with him, and they're blown away. A man whose faith was credited to him as righteousness, and they're blown away. And they hear about Moses, and they, they hear, oh, oh, our people have, have already been in exile, and God already rebuilt them, and we forgot. And he reads the law, and they understand it, because there are people there, and then they're explaining it. And, and in all of this, I guess my thought is, wow, like, to close off the story of the Old Testament, God goes back and he reads the beginning again. He says the first words again. Because God has not changed through any of this. God is the same God. No matter where we are in this story, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in our lives, God is unchanged. Go back and read the first words again because those are the same. <laughs> those are still true. Those are true over my life, true over your life. And God is faithful as well. Uh, they're staying there just listening to stories about God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness. And they're standing there and they're realizing, oh my gosh, now I realize we didn't build that temple. We didn't rebuild these walls. That was God. That was God's faithfulness. That was him rebuilding us. And we're just blown away by that. What also is awesome about this story is they didn't just hear these words and let them roll off of them, you know. They heard these words and they understood. God did a work there. You know, because we can't just hear God's word and know what it means. But no, God was there. He was present and living and active. And he helped them to understand these words. In fact, I skipped these verses. But in verse 9, it says, uh, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They were just standing there listening to this stuff and just weeping because they realized, you know, our God is here, our God is here. And I just think that's so powerful. I don't honestly have a lot to say about it. <laughs> There's not a whole lot that I want to interpret here for you. Just that God is unchanged no matter where we are in the story. God is faithful no matter where we are in the story. God wants us to hear his word and to understand it. And so, in closing, I just want to pray right now for those three things <laughs> in our lives. Father, we thank you for meeting us here. And we just pray that in our hearts and in our minds, you'd make known that you are unchanged no matter where we are in our lives, where we are in our stories. Help us to remember that you are faithful too, Lord. That regardless of whether we are faithful, you are faithful. And help us to understand your words, Lord. Help us to go back to those first words and read in the beginning and, and understand your words. Understand that you have not changed. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.